Ia male The Dave Hooker Show. A presentation of Off the Hook Sports. Objective insight, expertise, top guest. Available on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the Off the Hook Sports app. Download now for free. Also available on offthehooksports.com. I compute and obey. Now, to Dave Hooker. Ready. Hello, everyone. And Travis says it exactly correct on the message board. On to Kentucky. Amen. Orange Bud, good morning. Smoky Mountain Red, good morning to you as well. It is on to Kentucky, and we will discuss what's left for the Vols to play for. Caleb has some scenario in which uh, Tennessee could get back in the championship hunt, I think he wants to throw out there. But uh, nevertheless, Tennessee does have a lot to play for, uh, if nothing else, uh, but a lot of pride in the growth of the program. There's nothing... Um, there, there, there's nothing wrong with a nine win season considering where Josh Heupel, uh, picked up this program in year number three. We're going to visit with John Adams as we do each and every, uh, Tuesday. So, uh, Caleb, tomorrow you'll have uh, how Tennessee can actually get back in a championship hut. Um, I'm interested to, to see that. And I do want to go ahead, uh, Caleb, how are you, sir? I am tremendous. How are you, Dave? I am noticing your chair. I didn't notice it yesterday. It is nice. Um, so uh, let's go ahead and bring in uh, John Adams uh, because John has covered the Lady Vols very closely uh, for a long time, and we we begin the program with a with a sad note. As John's going to try to center his head a little bit, if we can. There we there we go. Um, as uh, a, a a sad note, Caleb. Uh, lost a lady ball to uh, breast cancer and um that's just uh in- incredibly sad i think we've all i certainly my family has been touched by uh breast cancer and um it's just a terrible thing and i believe this may be breast cancer awareness uh month uh caleb but um tasha butts that was very sad news it is. It, it's very, very sad news. And, you know, she had just been hired as the head coach at Georgetown. This was going to be her first year, and it took her life. She was a very, very – she was a glue player from uh, on those early 2000s Tennessee teams at Ford. Like, not like a superstar. Did play in the WNBA, but a very smart glue player. Got them to, I think, two straight national titles. I don't think she won a national title herself, but she still did. She was a very, very good player for Tennessee during that time period. Very true. John, hope you're well, sir. What do you remember about uh, uh, Tasha Butts? And and really, it harkens back to the days of just the incredible run that Tennessee had under Pat Summit. Yeah, I actually remember more her more for her personality. I mean, I remember as much for that as I did her playing. She's a really good player, very unselfish player, really good teammate, good team leader. I remember there was one game, I think, where she just came out of nowhere and she had about 30 points. Um, but normally she didn't, she wasn't like a big scorer. She averaged a little over six points for her career, but a good player and uh, just a great personality. Uh, always seemed very happy. It made me really sad uh, to hear that. She was, uh, I think the last time I saw her, she was, uh, I just happened to be in Baton Rouge. Uh, on vacation and 
I saw her there. She was a, an assistant coach on Nikki Caldwell's staff. And uh, I remember doing a story on her. Uh, her and Ashley Robinson were teammates, and they were very close friends. I think they they uh, roomed together. Um, just a delightful personality. Really sad. You, you know, that's the thing about uh, breast cancer. Uh, I lost a really close friend of mine about five years ago to it. Uh, you hear someone has breast cancer and you think of something, well, that that's something that can be overcome. A lot of times people have good results in, in fighting that and, but there are different forms of it. And some, some forms of it are very virulent and there's not a whole lot you could do. And I think she had that kind. She lasted about as long as my friend did with it once she was, uh, diagnosed as having it. And no matter how hard she fought, it just spread to all parts of her body. So really sad about uh, uh losing a really good person yeah uh me too that's uh it's exactly what happened to my grandmother the breast cancer part of it was uh, was taken care of but it had spread to other places uh, about a year after her initial diagnosis so uh we pray for everybody that has lost anyone to cancer and it's 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 the disease that's really touched us all no good transition to this but here we go let's uh talk some uh, football. We always love uh, John Adams on each and every Tuesday. So here's we here's what we have on uh, tap today. A couple of trends that uh, are going opposing ways for the balls. They don't play great on the road at times, uh, yet they tend to bounce back. So what does that mean for Kentucky this week? We'll discuss that as always. Our football IQ segment, which we absolutely love when we point out when coaches can be dumb. Yes, that does happen. Also, why can't Nico get on the field? John brought this up in a conversation we had last night. And uh, we're going to start it off, though, uh, right now with today's tough question. And today's tough question brought to you by Andy Mason, andymasonrealestate.com. And here we go. Today's tough question. Take a side. Take a stand. The Dave Hooker Show, a presentation of offthehooksports.com. I don't think anybody's jumping off the Josh Heupel bandwagon just yet. By the way, go ahead and smash that like and subscribe button. We greatly appreciate that. Click it and click it often. And thank you so much. If you haven't subscribed yet, we're with you each and every weekday at 10 a.m. And uh, we'll have Jamal Lewis. Uh, later on this week as part of our Celebrate 98 series. So let's talk Josh Heupel for a second. Losses at Florida, at Alabama. Let's get your thoughts on the message board, and I want to get Caleb's thoughts as well. But, John, today's tough question is, are, are the losses at Florida and at Alabama Josh Heupel's fault. And it's brought to you by Andy Mason Real Estate, andymasonrealestate.com. Go there now for your real estate business, best service, best prices in the biz. John, are ultimately it's all on Josh Heupel. But are those losses in particular his fault? Yeah, I thought it, the Florida game was probably the worst he's coached here. Um, though I don't really remember all the, the first season, but the, that <laughs> kind of struck me during that game. And uh, the Alabama, the second half, um, I give a lot of credit to Alabama for that. I think we tend to look at the team we cover as uh, 
it's all about that team and what it does or doesn't do. But I thought that had so much to do with Alabama and Nick Saban. He's considered the greatest coach in college football history for a reason. But I just thought against Alabama, I thought those fourth town uh, gambles were ill-advised because of Tennessee is just not a, uh, it's not great in short yardage. And uh, the play calls were, just weren't effective. Of course, you could always say that in hindsight, but uh, particularly on the latter one, when Alabama had the momentum, I don't like it when coaches try to force things or they feel the momentum has shifted and it's almost an impatience and got to get it back, got to get it back. Let's go for it here. Well, even if you make that first down, I'm not sure it would have led to anything. So I just thought that was uh, a really bad time. I would have tried to pin that pin Alabama back deep in its territory. So, yeah, I thought a lot of that was, was on Josh Heupel, and and he took responsibility for the way that game went. Caleb, are the losses at Florida and at Alabama Josh Heupel's fault? Yes, but in different ways. So I think the loss at Florida, I actually don't blame Josh Heupel's play calling at all at Florida. I had no issue with it. I think the issue with Josh Heupel, with Tennessee at Florida was Cooper Mays not being healthy. They had so many issues with pre-snap penalties and pre-snap reads and missing blocks that they couldn't get into a rhythm. The defense does not, the defense plays off the lead. So they were going to struggle in the first half. The Cooper Mays injury, as Dave, you and I talked about yesterday, that part might be Josh Heupel's fault because it just doesn't seem he should have been. There's no way the staff shouldn't have known that he had this hernia back in spring and gotten him ready to go by fall. So I think that part is on Heupel. So that that's, I blame. That's a good point. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, that's I blame a really not, good point. Yeah, I blame not managing the Cooper Mays injury well. Um. I blame not managing the Cooper Mays injury well on Josh Heupel. So, but for Alabama, I think largely Alabama was just better. Now I agree with John. Actually, I disagree with John. I don't mind going for it on those two fourth downs um, because I am a big win probability guy. And I think punting is the most overdone thing in football because I don't care what anybody says. Punting is a turnover. It, it counts as a turnover. You're giving the ball to the other team. And um, I just think that I, I'm almost like near midfield, fourth and one. I would 99% of the time go for it, but I will criticize the play calling for that. But I'll save that for my football like you segment because I think the plays that were called were absolutely horrendous. And I didn't need hindsight to criticize that, that play calling because I think there's just obvious things to do on fourth and one. John, I think that the the Florida game was an, an injury issue with Cooper Mays. Now, what Caleb brought up was a good point. Why wasn't this diagnosed in the spring? I know that that was a concern on behalf of some of the people involved. But I would put that more on the injury situation with Cooper and the fact that Tennessee's program is not built up to the point that they have sufficient backups at several positions. God bless Ollie Lane but he's not going to go on to the NFL and be an all pro and uh, Alabama. I would put that uh, completely on uh, Josh Heupel. I, I would, I didn't like the fourth down calls. Uh, I understand Caleb's point. I specifically didn't like get out of the shotgun when you're six, five, 240 pounds and you're a quarterback. Can you not take the snap under center? Uh, so John, I'm, I'm with you um, with, with the Alabama game for sure. Yeah, I just think uh, uh, 
Caleb apparently is a big analytics guy. I, I think coaches rely on that too much. I think you've got to have more of a feel for the game. I don't see anything wrong when you, you call it a turnover, but you can turn it over by if you call upon a turnover, you're giving it to the team. You might be giving it to the team 45 yards downfield. Uh, in a game like that, where these aren't spectacular offenses, I think field position can matter. It just depends on the nature of the game. I just thought that was a, I thought that was an awful call, about as bad as a decision as he's made, and, and Josh Heupel's made in a game. And then it was compounded by the play because it's a pet peeve of mine to not get under uh, center on fourth and short. Um, I mean, Tom Brady for seems like 50 years, I guess it was more like 20, but he made a living making short yardage plays, uh, just getting under center, taking a snap and pushing forward. And he's not nearly as big as uh, Joe Milton is. So, yeah, that was a bad call, I thought. And also, what about the – And also, like, what the Eagles are doing, why don't – if you're not going to do a standard sneak, why not the tush push? That works every time if you have a good blocker. Yeah. Push them from behind. Nothing like a good tush push, John. Yeah, that's that's become fashionable. I remember when that was considered um, illegal. You couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. And, and the first time I of note was, I guess, when Southern Cal in one of its uh, championship seasons, I think it was at Notre Dame, uh, Matt Leinert, the quarterback, was literally pushed into the end zone. And back then it was kind of like, oh, was that uh, illegal? is illegal or not. And I don't remember somebody, I don't remember reading where, okay, that's, that's legal. It just sort of, in my mind, it just sort of became legal. I, I, it, but it's completely different. You didn't used to be able to do that. As far as the, the Alabama game, um, I think that last year you had a special quarterback in Hendon Hooker. You had a special receiver in Jalen Hyatt, John. Tennessee doesn't have that this year. I almost feel like even though it was year three under Josh Heupel, that the talent differential was as significant or more significant than it was last year by losing those two guys. Tennessee's better than the front seven. We could break down the whole roster, but Tennessee talent-wise up front didn't look as, as good to me, especially when they had the ball. Well, I mean, we talk around it a lot of times, and we also talk about it, but there's a big change at quarterback, and you can't ignore that. This is not the best offense for Joe Milton. It's not the best offense for his skill set. And so Josh Heupel is determined to make this work. Um, they, they've they stuck with Joe Milton all the way. He's determined to make it work, but – it really hamstrings his play calling and what he what he wants to do, ideally. This is not a Josh Heupel offense. It's not the offense we saw the first two seasons. And you kind of have to attribute that to quarterback. He's calling plays to work around what Joe Milton's game. Uh, so that that alone, I mean, that stands out to me. Tennessee's averaging 15 points fewer a game. And yeah, you can point, it, it hurt to lose Darnell Wright, a first-round NFL draft pick, and it hurt to lose Jalen Hyatt. But still, to me, it's, and this isn't just uh, a knock on Joe Milton, it's a fact that his skills, he would be, to me, better off in a drop-back passing game. Uh, he can't throw on the move, 
And that's what this offense needs is somebody that throws on the move. And I give Josh uh, Joe Milton a lot of credit for way, the way he ran the ball against Alabama. That was a significant step up for the offense. But still, Josh Heupel has to call plays around what Joe Milton can and can't do. Um, I agree to that. I agree with that completely. Now, on the message board, we had a question about Cooper Mays. Is he uh, going – does he have a COVID year? Yes, he does have a year remaining um so he could come back but let's let's be honest whether it's cooper or addison nichols or whoever it is if you don't have a center in place by year four there's a problem with your program um because you've had plenty of time to to build that up and um i think cooper Mays's plans right now are to go to the nfl as far as a draft grade i was told that he got somewhere for like a four to seven a type of draft draft grade last year Uh, he's a he's an overachiever um, I don't think that Cooper Mays is going to be a first round pick, but he will have to determine whether or not he wants to get to the uh, NFL after this year. He does have a year remaining, but there is NIL money. Some via off the hook sports. Uh, there's some NIL money that may want him to stay. I don't think I can compete though with the giants, John. Well, so <laughs> maybe, so maybe whether uh, Cooper Mays goes or stays come down comes down to how much you're willing to spend, Dave. It's all on me, isn't it? Yeah, it all is. Tennessee's interior offensive line is on Dave Hooker. Yes, <laughs> that's great. fair. I think. Yeah, I'm gonna go out and have to sell some advertising. Okay, uh, here we go. It's time for <laughs> what the H, and I'm gonna talk a little bit of Nico because he came up and. A press conference yesterday, and I was a little stunned to hear it, to be real honest with you. What the H? What the? What was he thinking? Release the hounds. The Dave Hooker Show. Keep cool. A presentation of offthehooksports.com. All right. Nico was brought up in the press conference yesterday. How's he doing? How's everything going? It was a little bizarre. What the H brought to you by Zen Sports. I don't know why that question was even asked because at this point, it's it's pretty obvious. Joe Milton's your ride or die quarterback, isn't it, John? Yeah, I think so. Uh, but uh, Josh Heupel told us he's doing great. He's, yeah, he's doing great. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. He hasn't played at all um, in any significant snaps. Um they said they weren't going to redshirt him, which, of course, they weren't going to do. He's not going to be around till 2028. Um, and I mean, he's not going to be a fifth-year guy. Uh, John, it opens up, though, and you brought this up when we were talking last night prepping for the show, and Caleb and I talked about it at our 3.45 a.m. production meeting. Um, why haven't they played him? Is it just the love for Joe Milton, or is it, that he's not performing as well in, in practice. I mean, it, it opens up uh, Pandora's box of issues. Yeah, it's uh, could be all of the above. Uh, team chemistry. Obviously, the coaching staff is infatuated with Joe Milton. Uh, they see him as a great team leader. He's their quarterback, and they're sticking with him. And I'm not proposing that Tennessee suddenly give Joe uh, suddenly give Nico the job, but I. One thing we've noticed about uh, Joe Milton, uh, he goes into these sort of, for lack of a better term, slumps in the course of a game where he just doesn't play as well. And sometimes uh, those slumps can extend for an entire half. 
that's why I would I would consider using Nico. Just give the guy a series. I, 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 this guy won't fall. Uh, just give him a series and see how he does. He would be a change of pace. Uh, teams are certainly honed in on what Joe Milton uh, does best and does worse. So they wouldn't be as prepared for Nico. It's sure it's a little, it's a gamble, but I think it's also a gamble to stick based on the track record. When uh, Joe Milton goes into one of those tailspins, will he come out of it in time? And so, yeah, I was, I don't see anything wrong with that. I, I don't, I wouldn't worry about team chemistry. I'd be trying to do whatever, anything I could to uh, get an offense going that seems stagnant at times in games. Caleb, I think team chemistry was an issue in the offseason. I think they wanted Joe Milton to be the guy. And I think that's been very clear. I was told that he would be the guy no matter what, unless uh, Nico just really, really stumbled. I'm sorry, unless Joe really, really stumbled, stumbled or he got hurt. Um, but that that love affair should go away um, once the season begins and you see Joe Milton struggle. And I know we're talking about this with Milton coming off one of his better games of the season, but I think it's still pertinent. I don't think it's pertinent from last weekend at all. And I know people want to use the second half uh, as an idea of him spiraling. I didn't see him spiral. Let's talk about what happened in the second half. Remember, Tennessee scores a touchdown at the end of the first half to go up 20 to 7. How does the second half play out? Alabama scores a touchdown on the, on the first drive. That's not Joe Milton's fault. He wasn't on the field. Their first offensive possession, they're spotted the ball at a at the four-yard line because of the correct call that I've never seen made before, where D. Williams looked like he was waving off the kickoff and then Cam Seldon returned it. So Tennessee spotted the ball at the four. Josh Heupel ran it three straight times. So you can't really put that on Joe Milton at that point. Josh Heupel was just playing for field position in the punt and just gave up on that drive. And so that, that drive's not Milton's fault. Alabama gets a field goal. What happens on the next drive? They're near midfield. Milton would have converted a first down on a pass to Ramel Keaton, but Ramel Keaton had to bobble the pass, which is why he fell short one yard of the first down. And then they, Tennessee got stopped on the fourth and one. Again, that's not Joe Milton. That's his receiver not catching cleanly an easy ball thrown right his way. Then the next drive on a first down screen pass, Tennessee picks up a holding penalty that kills that drive. And so they play again, play it safe and punt. And that's after that is when Alabama takes control. So it wasn't the only, none of those first three drives that Tennessee scored on, they were 0% Joe Milton's fault. Now, then the strip sack came after Alabama was up 27 to 20. Yes, that's Joe Milton's fault. But that's one bad play, one kill drive. But there were three drives before that that literally have nothing to do with Joe Milton not, not being able to score. It was all on so many other random factors that, that, that you can't really put on him. So I can't really say he spiraled in this game. I can say that with the Florida game, but I can't say that with this game. Well, he only passed for 90, about 90 yards in the second half. Um, right, but I he mean, again two drives were taken out of his hands, and they just ran the ball three straight times. And so I don't know if I mean maybe you could say that shows a lack of faith they have in Milton. But there's the again there's the one on the four yard line, and then there's the there's the holding penalty on Jacob Warren. And both of those drives, Heupel just decided to play it safe and punt the ball and just run it three times. Well, the strip the strip sack uh, was disastrous. Uh, I just I, yeah, uh, I can't defend what Joe Milton did in that second half because when 
this is a quarterback oriented game when you you're so reliant on your quarterback making plays in a close game and he didn't make them for whatever reason, whether it was a play call or whatever. But I do think one thing that enters into it, I I think the coaches, uh, although they espouse so much confidence in, in Joe Milton, their actions and their play calls don't indicate that they really believe that Joe Milton can get it done in that kind of game. I a hundred percent agree with that. I a hundred percent agree with that. Even earlier in the season, John, where I felt like, this offense was was really pared down uh, because of Joe Milton's shortcomings. I thought you saw that very early in the season. Oh yeah, and and you know one thing I've noticed to me, uh, noticed to me, uh, I've not <laughs> allow I'm, myself to what? introduce hey, myself. Yeah, I am me. Um, <laughs> I know Joe Milton. It seems to be throwing the ball with more touch now. I thought early in this season, I mean, he was throwing the ball way too hard on a lot, on a lot of passes, but maybe I'm imagining that, but it, it his touch just seems better uh, in, in recent games to me. So he's improved in that area. And he certainly, his, his devotion to running the ball against Alabama, that was a huge plus for the offense. So it's not like I'm, uh, ripping Joe Milton here. I, I thought the first half against Alabama was the best half he's had since he's been at Tennessee when you consider the competition. Uh, but still, I think the offense is limited because of what he can do. I agree with that. I think that we underestimated Jalen Hyatt's ability to stretch defenses a little bit, but I do think it comes down to uh, Joe Milton's uh I'm not questioning his intelligence. Don't get this wrong, but his quick processing under fire, John, I think is the biggest issue. It just seems like at times he hits that back foot and the ball's not coming out. And that has been a consistent theme throughout the, throughout the year. Yeah. uh, And yeah, his decision-making on the field is, is baffling at times. Those uh, out of bounds, those runouts, uh, for lack of a better term, are, are things that really stick with fans because they're so unusual looking. Not, I haven't seen many many players make those kind of decisions in the heat of battle where they just not sure what to do. Run it, throw it, run it, throw it. No, I'll just run out of bounds. No, that's kind I of unusual. A question for, I got a question for both y'all, actually, since y'all were covering this team, and I wasn't, obviously, and the Joe Milton runs, which opened up his passing attack, kind of reminds me of, and we, and I know Dave, you talked about that they just mo- got rid of the quarterbacks coach, coaching, didn't get rid of him, but they, Lane Kiffin started working with him directly. But Jonathan Crompton's renaissance in 2009, I felt a large part of that was by the in the Georgia game, Lane Kiffin realized that if you have Jonathan Crompton roll out, you send him on rollouts, he's very, very good throwing the ball out of the pocket, and. The minute Tennessee started doing more of that, it reset defensive coverages, which is why Crompton had his renaissance down the second half of that season. Do you think that there's a similar type of renaissance that may have happened with Joe Milton in the Alabama game, where it's just him running the ball a few times is going to open up more passing options for him down and, and allow for a very strong finish to this season? That's interesting, Caleb. John, I wouldn't rule that out. I don't know that he's going to suddenly become Joe Montana, but... He could have, you know, people would have said the same thing about Jonathan Crompton after the Georgia game in 2009. They would have said, oh, well, 
you know, a, a, what is it? A, a blind squirrel finds an acorn every once in a while or something like that. But he went on to finish the second half of the season quite well. So, John, I, I wouldn't rule that out, but I'm not sure. I don't think that's going to be the case. Well, my guess is after the Texas A&M game, the coaches told Joe Milton, you've got to run the ball. You can't go out of bounds. You've got to, you've got to go as hard as you can for a first down or whatever. You've got to make an extra effort. I don't see how you could not tell him that. That was, yeah, I know Tennessee won the game, but it was a close game and, and you just can't have that. When a first down's on the line and, and your quarterback just runs out of bounds, you've got to address that. So maybe they sent a strong message to Joe Milton. This this doesn't get it done. Here's what you've got to do. I don't know about the comparison to Jonathan Crompton. What I remember about Jonathan Crompton, uh, I think it was it was more Lane Kiffin than anybody that that sort of took him under wing. And Lane Kiffin has a great track record with quarterbacks. And he said, "Okay, what does this guy do well and and make this work in the." Uh, in the offense. And, and as you remember, Dave, Tennessee really relied on Monterio Hardesty in that season at running back. He was, mm -hmm. uh, he had a great, great year. And uh, after having so many injuries earlier in his career, he was tremendous, but Jonathan Crompton played so much better. And as I recall, Lane Kiffin simplified what Jonathan Crompton had to do. He had him reading maybe half the field instead of the whole field. And, it certainly worked out well because that, uh, yeah, that was a, a complete transformation of what he had been and what he became. Well, I can, I, I, yeah, it's it's been long enough. I can tell you exactly what happened um, in that situation. I, I, I noticed that Lane Kiffin was spending a lot more time specifically mm -hmm. with the quarterbacks um, and David Reeves, his brother-in-law, was the coach, the quarterbacks coach then. And I asked Lane, I said, are you spending more time with the quarterbacks? It seems like it. And uh, he said, yeah, but I don't want that out there because it makes him look bad. Um, so I, I can tell you that <laughs> that's exactly yeah. what happened. It, it was it was Lane Giffen stepping in. Um, so can Josh Heupel do that with Joe Milton the remainder of the season? Late, I mean – Heupel doesn't have any in-laws on the staff, does he? Well, he didn't take David Reeves to Southern California, which is perhaps what undermined um, the West Coast hostess gate. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, the hostess gate. Does anybody? Does everybody on the message board remember that when David Reeves thought it would be a great idea to send a, a couple of uh, fine-looking young ladies to cheer for. I can't even remember the players now in North Carolina and hold up Tennessee signs in the stands as if that was legal. It maybe was North Carolina. It was North Carolina or South Carolina. I think I remember one of the names of the uh, hostesses that went on the road, but I won't bring that up. Yeah, I think we, uh, let's just move on. Yeah, what the H brought to you by Zen Sports, the new sports book in Tennessee, revolutionizing the way you earn sports betting rewards. That means no more deposit bonuses that turn into deposit nightmares. Download Zen Sports. What you see is what you get with a cash rewards program. You get a lot of cash for a welcome bonus. Earn an unlimited five percent cash back on your betting volume for your first fifteen days when you sign up with the promo code Hooked. Hooked. That's right, unlimited five percent cash back. Keep betting. Keep earning. With up to 3% cash back in your betting volume every month after that, and refer friends to earn a percentage of their betting volume as cash rewards to Zen Sports, bringing the cash.
cash back to Tennessee. So if you bet big on sports, you want to be betting on Zen Sports. Zen Sports betting just got better. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-889-9789. Must be 21 and over. And in Tennessee to bet. All right. Moving on. Tennessee is probably not going to play for a national championship nor an SEC championship, although Caleb's going to try to convince us otherwise tomorrow. Um, the So what record at this point would be a disappointment? John, I'll start with you. Let's, let's keep the backdrop in mind that last year was a huge surprise, right? And things broke Tennessee's way with the exception of Jeremy Banks acting like a goofball before the South Carolina game. Everything seemed to go Tennessee's way. Nobody expected Tennessee to beat Alabama, win 10 games in 2022. So what record, just record alone, not how it happens, uh, not a vast number of injuries, freak plays, whatever, but what record would be deemed a disappointment, a regular season record? I think it depends on the fan, but I think based on uh, the emails I've received, uh, fans aren't real happy right now coming off a loss to Alabama. I think eight and four would be considered a disappointment. I think uh, it's kind of nine and three would be a good season. Eight and four wouldn't be, and maybe some people would say, well, eight and four is still better than the first season. But I just think the nature of the loss is you're losing to Florida and Alabama. A lot of fans – look at these seasons as Florida, Georgia, and Alabama. Those are traditional rivals ever since the the league went to divisional play in 1992. And if you don't beat any one of those teams, uh, fans hold that against Tennessee. So, yeah, I I would say eight and four would be disappointing to most fans. Okay. I would say eight and four is acceptable. Seven would be disappointing. Um, Caleb, your thoughts. I would say eight and four is slightly underachieving, but not disappointing and not cause for concern or worry. Seven is a seven and five is, um, I think eight and four would largely be like, and John, I brought this up yesterday. It would largely be like the 94 Tennessee team. That was Fulmer's second year as a full-time head coach. You thought they could actually take a step up from the 93 team. I, mean, I I wasn't there. Y'all were. I don't know if y'all thought that the 94 team would be better than the 93 team because it was Fulmer's second year and he was still a hot commodity as a coaching prospect. But they took a step well, I'm back. Not a, I, I'm not as old as John. Hold on. I wasn't there yet. Dave, you were <laughs> at least 20. Well, yeah, I was, but I was, I was more interested in the strip than I was in Elon Stadium at the time. I, I don't think uh, Dave wants to join my generation. Uh, yeah, I remember the 94 season, uh, but things went awry in that season. Uh, Jerry, Jerry Coke with Tennessee's quarterback who had knew the system very well, was a talented quarterback, suffered a season injuring in season ending injury on the seventh play of the game. Uh, Tennessee was playing at UCLA in Pasadena. And then it became a juggling act with quarterbacks. Eventually Peyton Manning took over Tennessee finished strong. But that team had a good offensive line, um, had some had some good running backs. I think that season would have turned out uh, a game better, it, at least if Jerry Colquitt had never been hurt and he had quarterback um, the entire season. So that that was a that was a factor in it. And I'm and when I say that, I think a lot of fans would say eight and four for this team would be disappointing. 
I, I'm not, that's really not a criticism. I, you said seven and five would be a, a cause to worry. I guess that's kind of how I look at it. This to me doesn't uh, affect my faith in Josh Heupel as to what he can do with the program just because he would win eight and four. I mean, if he goes eight and four and wins a bowl game, he'd match the best season Tennessee's ever had other than his 11 and two season last year, since things went, went South way back in 2008. Uh, John, part of the factor or part, part of what we have to look at is the sec is, I believe down as a whole, but it's floor is a little bit higher. The, the Missouri's of the world are a little bit better. Um, so the ceiling's not as high other than Georgia as far as comparing it to last year, but the floor is higher. So there could be an upset lurking out there. I think Missouri would be the program you would look to that would be most apt because I, I would say Eli Drinkwitz would certainly like to lay some points on the balls after last year. Yeah, maybe about 66. Um, yeah, I look, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I agree with you on the floor because you still got Vanderbilt down there. And I don't know that Vanderbilt's any better than it usually is. Um, South Carolina is an awful team. Arkansas has lost six straight and is really bad. Auburn and Mississippi State be a slight not, notch above those teams. But that's five teams that I don't think are very good teams and, and are pretty limited. Uh, yeah, Missouri is better than usual. That That's a factor. So, And that may be how some fans look at this, too. because. The losses to Florida and Alabama, that's not a great Florida team. I still think this team, Florida team could lose a lot more games when I look at that schedule. And, and even Alabama, this is not a typical Alabama team. It doesn't have the offensive firepower of so many of its teams in recent years. So I think fans look at it like that and say, well, we were good enough to beat those teams. Where in some years, Tennessee couldn't, couldn't hang with Alabama. No, true, and uh, that's, a, that's a very good point. John, you know, I think about recruiting because I did that for so long. I don't – as far as recruiting, I don't see a big difference between eight and nine, how it affects your program. For some reason, though, seven and eight seems like a big difference to go to a prospect and say, 110 in 2022, 17 this year that just i don't know that just sounds way different to me well what you do in that case dave you just uh open up the checkbook pocketbook a little bit more and enhance those nil deals and they really won't care if it was seven or eight if they're going to be rich out of it they're they can live with that i think yeah you got it you got to admit i mean two things are different now when you talk about recruiting it's nil and the and the transfer portal it, that looms larger than recruiting does. I, I, I'll tell you though, John, I'm a I'm a about to take a stance that the transfer portal is the most overhyped thing in the history of college football. Because other than let's say a Lincoln Riley who takes a Caleb Williams, okay, to USC, other than those guys, you're basically getting castoffs. You're getting well, Hooker. Well, no that 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 would be an that would be an exception. 
But look at who Tennessee got this year. What other players across the nation or in the SEC are having major impacts when you compare them to the number of transfers there have been? So what's your hit rate? It's I think it's one in five, whereas a recruit, I typically said the good recruits, you're going to hit 50 percent. And that's basically where you are. But I don't see the transfer portal being as impactful as I I thought it was just a few months ago. Oh, I, I mean, look at Ole Miss. Where would Ole Miss be without the transfer portal? Well, yeah, that that's absolutely true. That uh, well, this is we're going. There's partially a talent evaluation process in this. And look, I've been very. We're talking about how much blame does Hypel get? I think Josh Hypel has an issue that he has to prove to the rest of the nation about his ability to evaluate talent because it, it hasn't proven himself itself to be good right now. I mean, he was the one, John, and you know this in. Dave, I'm sure you know this too. Heupel had four quarterbacks on the roster when he took over Tennessee, including Hendon Hooker. He went out and got Joe Milton himself. How did he not see that Joe Milton wasn't a fit for this offense? He really wanted Joe Milton when he was the offensive coordinator at Missouri in 2017. He recruited him heavily and tried to get him there. Then he went out and signed him. And we know now at this point, there was no real open competition in that fall camp. Joe Milton was the starter was as sure of a bet to start as Brent Schaefer was at Ole Miss in 2006. Even though, Hinden, even though Hendon Hooker was better. And that's, I mean, to me, that's still a huge knock on Josh Heupel that he went into fall camp saying, I'm going to start Joe Milton. And I don't care that Hendon Hooker and Hendon Hooker outperforms him. I think he dismissed Kadon Salter over a petty weed charge because he wanted to make room for Joe Milton. <laughs> he, um, a petty um, weed. I like that. Caleb. It was less than a gram. Yeah, it's I don't even like, know anyway, that, that should I be a, he, a legal term. I think he wanted every excuse to make Joe Milton the starter. And now we're seeing it here. He missed on Andre Carrick, who he tried to get out of Texas, who is just not good. I don't think it's a lack of effort. I just don't think it's good. He missed on Dante Thornton, who I think could be good, but I think Dante Thornton, maybe he's doing weed or something. I don't know, but he prefers, he plays like it. He plays like it. That's all I'm going to say, because he doesn't seem like he cares when he's in the game. Um, and so he missed on two power five transfers. And then, I mean, look, we talk about his recruiting to show up the offensive line. One of the reasons there's not a lot of depth on the line this year, Josh Heupel has missed on a lot of linemen he signed. You know, there's Addison Nichols, Mo Clipper, Masai Reddick. These are all Heupel signees. Where are they? Why can't they see the field? Do, are, are you are we saying that Jeremy Pruitt is a better talent evaluator than uh, Josh Heupel? Yes. Woo! Strongest comment. Yeah, that I mean, that's that would be scary, wouldn't it? Be terrifying for the <laughs> fans. No, Gary doesn't Pruitt. begin to cover it. I think it's Jeremy Pruitt Halloween. I disagree. I think Jeremy Pruitt is actually one of the better talent evaluators. I just don't think he knows how to utilize his talent. But I mean, I, I think Jer Jeremy Pruitt, I actually think he'd make a good NFL GM. I, I know that's crazy. But is. if you had somebody break down the math for him saying this is what you can and can't afford, because I don't think he'd be good at the math part of it with the contracts. But I think he can scout the talent well. Yep. This well, according to I Travis. Mean, Go ahead, John. Well, he's he's he, he needs a good babysitter to help him along with those talent evaluations. Jeremy Pruitt is a better evaluator, 100%, Travis says. Now, in all fairness, um, a little pushback on my comment earlier 
Keenan Peely, had he not gotten hurt, would have been a contributor. Uh, Gabe Judy Lawley has been a contributor. So it's not like Tennessee completely crapped out of the transfer portal. Those are pretty good players. Portions of Those the program. BYU brought- kids always play hard, though. You got to trust. You always trust BYU transfers. Oh, no. I think it's, uh, with, well, and in Peely's case, I think it's Samoan guys. I mean, I think if you could field a, uh, a team of just Samoans, you'd win a championship almost every year. Uh, Campbell, Cunningham, Taylor, and Han. Enjoy life better when you see better. Local vision service for LASIK, cataract surgery, and your annual examination. CCTIs.com. CCTIs.com. John, you gave me a weird look on the Samoan comment. Yeah, I didn't think we should we should venture into ethnic uh, discussions. Probably stay away from that. No, I've I've discussed this with uh, Greg Biggins, who is uh, who is part Samoan uh, for twenty four seven. I mean they they play I'm, I'm hard. Kid- no, I'm kidding. They they do. I mean their their culture kind of they're they're depicted as really good team guys, uh, hard workers, good work ethic. So yeah, I'm still trying to. I'm still trying to think th- through uh, Caleb's thoughts on Jeremy Pruitt. I, I know you don't like to have a lot of rules and too much structure, but I think bringing up Jeremy Pruitt's name in a positive way is <laughs> is kind of risky for your advertisers. <laughs> Maybe not, but just a thought. He found Hendon Hooker, and he found Jalen Hyatt. And he found Cedric Tillman. When Cedric Tillman was a two-star in Nevada. Yeah. What? Like nobody, he was a two star. -star? Yeah, he was a two star on rivals and he was a three star on two for seven, but a two star on rivals playing in Nevada. Nobody noticed him. Jeremy Pruitt takes over in 2018. Tillman is one of his first offers. He goes out and he immediately offers Tillman. That's scouting right there. You got to give him some credit on that. John, I thought if you just suited up, you got three stars. Uh, In most cases, but maybe he forgot something like a helmet or that kind of thing. Yeah, he was a three-star, and he showed up to the championship game without a helmet. <laughs> yeah, I'm ready, Thur- Coach. Put Thurman me in. Thomas style. Does he might remember that from the Super Bowl. I was at that Super Bowl. Oh, man. That was Two, great also, move. he also found Bryce Thompson and Elante Taylor and specifically went after them to play cornerback when a lot of people wanted them to play receiver on the recruiting field. Who, trail who on things. the message board thinks that Caleb wants to go back and hire Jeremy Pruitt? <laughs> <laughs> he is a great talent evaluator that does not mean he's a good coach yeah well why did he go three and seven caleb in his last year because well josh hypo went 11 and two with a lot of those same players he went three and seven because he can't coach he's not a good actual on the field coach i mean it's we we agree on that yeah and i mean this is kind of and also again jeremy pruitt didn't have the jimmies and joes that were better than alabama or georgia and if you're going to be like if you're going to win on the field with talent, you have to find the guys that are better. What he did was he found uh, players that were overlooked because Tennessee couldn't recruit at that level that were good enough with the right coaching to beat those schools, not Georgia because Heupel hasn't done that. And so um, I think that's where we're at with Jeremy Pruitt when we're talking about him. He found guys that with the right coach and the right system, they could be good. The problem was Jeremy Pruitt didn't know how to put them in the right system. Yeah, and Jeremy Pruitt also, John, was uh, a little bit um, uh, insensitive to peanut allergies because he stuffed cash in Chick-fil-A bags. They use peanut oil, which reminds me of the time you and I went with a salesperson and met with an assistant manager at a sporting goods store. 
and he had a peanut allergy and I encouraged him to uh, have some Chick-fil-A because he had the EpiPen on him. So why not give it a shot and see what happens? Do you remember that? Uh, yeah, I do. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, you showed you, you were a more of a, you were more of a risk taker than he was, but it's, it's easy to, you know, take risk when it involves other people's health. Right. And he said, yeah, well, sure. I could die. And I said, but you probably won't. Yeah. Play the odds. <laughs> and just think how much you could gain. I'm, yeah. I'm, uh, John and I met with the assistant manager. He goes, sounds good to me. And I don't think he had any input whatsoever. Two minutes, Football IQ, our weekly segment, talking about coaches and not-so-bright decisions. Josh Heupel may make the list for the first time with Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker, John Adams. Two minutes. Sun, sand, and salt water, the beach is a very relaxing place. Unless you wear contacts. Ow! Open your eyes to the best the beach has to offer with LASIK Vision Correction from Campbell Cunningham Laser Center. Sports Treasures in North Knoxville is one of the South's largest sports cards and memorabilia dealers featuring over 10 million sports cards from vintage to modern. Sports Treasures carries a full line of hobby boxes, singles, autographed memorabilia, Tennessee ball collectibles, fan cave decorations, and so much more. See a museum full of collectibles at Sports Treasures, 4819 North Broadway in Fountain City, and Sports Treasures on Facebook. Sports Treasures, where the real sports fan goes to shop. Have you seen the latest TriStar Hats Co. product? TriStar Hats Co., what's that? You know, those really cool hats, shirts, tumblers, and even license plates with three stars like the official Tennessee flag and stripes like the American flag. Pretty patriotic if you ask me. Ah, gotcha. Seen those. Those are cool. Where can I get them? Simple. TriStarHatsCo.com. And if you order now, there's 10% on any order $50 or more. Plus, use the promo code HOOKED. With the promo code HOOKED, you get 10% off. That's HOOKED. And don't forget free shipping with any order over 50 bucks. Stock up at TriStarHatsCo.com. That's TriStarHatsCo.com. There are plenty of wannabes out there, so make sure you go to TriStarHatsCo.com for the best quality and customer service. Will do, and I'll be sure to use the promo code HOOKED. That's HOOKED when I do to save an additional 10% off. TriStarHatsCo.com. TriStar Hats Co. is a trademark of TriStar Hats Co. LLC. Any use without express written consent is prohibited. Who's this guy? Hello, wizard. The Dave Hooker Show. Ooh. A presentation of Off the Hook Sports. What? YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the free Off the Hook Sports app. Back to Dave Hooker. Green Wave says risk it for the chicken biscuit. Talking about the sales guy that we tried to poison one time. I'm not taking responsibility for that day. <laughs> That's on you, not me. That's on me. Just have a have a couple of nuggets. What could go wrong? Yeah, it's healthy. Um, all right, so it's time for our football IQ segment that we have grown to love. As this just in, sometimes football coaches uh, make bad decisions. In case you didn't know, so uh, we will get to that right now. Now, did you see any on the message board? Did you see? Any coaching maneuvers over the weekend that you were just like, what the H? And you can go ahead and uh, put that up there, and we'll be glad to address those. So basically, uh, we're going to go ahead and tell you that they're really uh, smart, but they have 
uh, different levels of dumbness. One is that's crazy, Tracy Morgan, and the other is a little bit stronger, and that is you suck, you suck ass. <laughs> <laughs> Never gets old. I don't know why that makes us all giggle. We're grown men. All right, here we go. Uh, Caleb, do you want to start with us? What do you got in our football IQ segment? Well, I would like two honorable mentions before I start because, and the reason I want to do two honorable mentions is because I usually reserve these for coaches who cost their team games with these decisions. But there's one coach who was incredibly stupid with a decision, but he got lucky and won. But I'm like, he still should be called out even though you won. And so I want to start that with Mario Cristobal of Miami. And I know we piled on him two weeks ago when he deserved it. But this time, Miami had the ball at the 38-yard line, score tied in regulation, two timeouts and a minute and a half to go, and Cristobal played for overtime. Now, he needed he has one of the best kickers in college football. He needed maybe 25 yards to get a field goal, and he played for overtime. Now, he won in overtime. But you go for the, you play for the win in that situation always. And so he deserves to be called out even though he won. So that's my first honorable mention. John, he still won. So what level of dumbness are you giving that? Um, yeah, it's some level. I mean, it's not the most flagrant because he did win the game. And maybe, uh, I don't know what it went into his thinking. It's not as bad as some of his other decisions. So, um, I don't so we're know. Just him on the curve a... of himself. Yeah, we'll just go <laughs> with this level. That's crazy. Um, yeah, and... that's crazy. That's good. Yeah, that's crazy. And a crystal ball is terrible. Travis says. I I have to admit, I was so high on crystal ball about five years ago. I thought he was going to be the best coach, and I was dead a wrong. All right, Caleb. Well, what do we got next? All right. So the ne- this is not an on field one. This is an off field one. I don't think the Michigan cheating scandal is a big deal. But the scalp that bought the tickets to the opposing team's game in his own name. So they got oh. called. That's how they're getting called. I'm deeming that one right now. You suck. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, Jeremy Pruitt would have at least had his wife buy the tickets. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. John, okay. that, that whole the, the Michigan thing is bizarre to me because you know what opposing uh, high school coaches do when they have an off weekend? They go scout the other team. Um, why is, why the hell is that a, excuse my language? Why is that even a rule? No, to me, it's, uh, just, uh, thorough coaching and, uh, evaluating the opposition, but boy, it's, uh, it not, it's not going over well. It's almost like there's a lynch mob out to get Jim Harbaugh one way or the other. I think there is because he's flirted, he's flirted so much with the NFL. I think they've about had enough of it. And it's ironic that Michigan has, I believe the best team in college football this year, but we'll see. Caleb points out they haven't played anybody, which is true. All right, Caleb, what's, what's up next? And uh, right, so I hate now, to say it guys, but Josh Heupel is going to make this list. Yes. And we will save Josh Heupel towards the top. So the first like one in the game to call the team, Kenny Dillingham, I called him out two weeks ago with the Arizona state coach. I'm calling him out again. Up seven to three in the fourth quarter. It was third and 10. Washington, off an incomplete pass, Washington, I'm sorry, Arizona State forced to third and 10 in the red zone. Dillingham did one of these things that drives me crazy that coaches do. He lined up, he saw the offense, and then he called a timeout because he wanted to see what the formation looked like. Well, you might, well, guess what? Arizona State needed that timeout at the end of the game when Washington was able to run the clock out. I don't get the calling a timeout because you want to see the formation. The other team's just going to change their formation for the next time they come out. I think it's stupid. I think it's dumb. 
and it cost him late in the game because he didn't have a timeout that would have stopped the clock and given them the ball back if he had that timeout. John, that whole take a look at the defense and call a timeout, that seems like that's single wing stuff. That seems like that's 50 years old. Uh, it's almost one of those things like uh, let's ice the kicker. <laughs> one of those things that started and everybody said, oh, you got to do that. Because if you don't, then everybody will say, well, why didn't you ice the kicker? So, yeah, you got to call a timeout there. It's interesting. I watched I watched the game uh, Caleb was referring to just as I watched the game the previous week where or maybe it was two weeks ago when I was watching Arizona playing. Um, maybe I can't even remember who Arizona was playing, USC, but it was, right? a, yeah, it was USC. And I thought Arizona should have won the game. And uh, Arizona State, I don't think Arizona State's won, but one game. And it was out playing Washington for parts of that game and had a great chance to win. And yeah, th that kind of decision making down the stretch was not good at all. All right, so I'm going to give that. Uh, the, uh, and because I can't imagine the head coach of the defensive coordinator said, all right, they took a timeout, so uh, um, let's just uh, – they know what we're going to do. Let's run the same thing out there. I can't imagine somebody doing that. No. Well, no, they would think, oh, they think we're going to switch to something else, but we'll come back with the same thing. <laughs> oh, double See? the double sneakeroo. Yeah, is that football Jedi like you mind that we don't trick. understand. <laughs> yeah, Jedi mind trick. Or yeah, he was like, they're playing checkers, we're playing chess. Yes, these are not the droids you're looking for. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a huge. You suck. Yeah, <laughs> He never gets old. All right, Caleb, let's get to Josh Hype. All right. Um, oh, we want to do Josh Hype now? Okay. Well, oh, we, can there's ten... okay. well we can do another one if you want. All right, I got a few more, actually, that I'll just have to run through real quick. Uh, you guys can – this one may not be as bad, but I thought Mac Brown, North Carolina, and their loss to Virginia, they got inside the red zone, brought up a first and 10. Drake May played well, but Amari and Hampton averaged six yards a carry in that game. They threw it four straight times. You got to run it one time in the red zone at that point. That was like Butch Jones, 2017 Florida, not running it with John Kelly when they got inside the 15 yard line and Florida was tired. So calling four straight passes was just next level stupid. All right. Well, I, I think it depends on the look. So I'll just give that a. That's crazy. All right. So uh, let's get to Josh Hype. One more before Hype, and then we'll get to one him. more but before Hype. You guys may disagree with me, but Hugh Freeze punting on fourth and one near midfield against Ole Miss in the second half. Um, it was a 14-14 game. Ole Miss has an elite quarterback and an elite offensive coach in Jackson Dart and Lane Kiffin. I, I believe in Hugh Freeze, but I think you go for it in that situation because you're outmatched playing a very good offense in Ole Miss. John, thoughts? Caleb does not believe punting should ever be called. I, I don't. I There are I, I there are hot. I was the one guy, do you remember when Bill Belichick went for it and didn't get it against the Colts 15 <laughs> years ago? And everyone's like, that was a bad call. I was firmly on Belichick's side because I guaranteed everybody that had he not, that had he got, had he punted it, Peyton Manning was going to go down the field and score anyway. I agree. Yeah, I agree in that case, but I think it's got to depend on your personnel, the, you know, tone of the game, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think Caleb yeah. would just shoot the punter right in the leg before. Yeah, the he, he was. Yeah, he thinks they should all be cripples before <laughs> kickoff, so they can't punt. All right. Uh, let's uh, get to no, the hypo in our football IQ segment. 
So I have no problem with going forward, as you guys know, on fourth and inches. I have a problem with fourth and inches not calling a quarterback sneak. And I don't know why coaches haven't. You have a six foot five, 240 pound quarterback. This goes back to practice. My guess is they don't practice it. Why don't you practice the QB sneak once a day just so like you can do it? Because how many teams now are, and you're seeing this in the NFL. Do you guys realize how bad red zone offenses are in the NFL right now? Teams are losing games because they're not converting fourth and one or fourth and two. Those were gimmies 20 years ago. And now they're not. And it's driving me crazy because I think the problem is they're not practicing plays under center. John, how bad did you uh, dislike? Uh, how much did you dislike that that call on fourth down? I, you, you mentioned it earlier. I thought that was trying to force an issue. Yeah, that's just... Uh... I just don't like it when you've lost the momentum and you try to force something. I, I just don't think it it's the appropriate thing. Be patient. And as much as Caleb hates it, uh, gain some field position. Uh, and, you know, and then you can, yeah, the, the play column, it was bad all around in my mind. I wouldn't have gone for it. And I said that I was like, no, don't do that. And then the play itself was, it was not a good call. I didn't think, but, you can debate that. I just uh, – I want the quarterback under center if you're going to do that. Yep. Um, but there, he's – Josh Heupel's not the only guy that does that. Some coaches just don't believe of getting out of the shotgun. That's their, that's their thing, and they want to stay in the shotgun regardless of down and distance. I, I'd rather throw the ball. I'd rather even throw the ball if you're, if you're <laughs> determined. I'm serious. If you're determined to go out of shotgun, I, 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 I run a slant. Do something. Um, see how hard Joe Milton can throw it at somebody. <laughs> Orange Blood says Heupel would rather lose his left hand than go under center. I don't know That's if he's left he did it twice right last hand. year. He did it three times last year. He did. We were really charting the punt opportunities. And as far as Caleb's thoughts on punters, Smoky Mountain Red says Tanya Harding them. Why? Why? There, <laughs> John. Well, there's why me. I, there's Why one me? more. There is one more punt situation that I think I can get John and Dave on my side for, for this one, I because I hate this one. Arkansas, Mississippi State. It was fourth and one from the Mississippi State 33 yard line, and Sam Pittman decided, let me take a delay of game and then punt the ball. Well, yeah, that was incredibly stupid. That that calls for a Dave. Oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, that's crazy. Or that even, oh, you no, suck. no, yeah, worse than that. Ass. There you go. <laughs> yeah, it, Sam Pittman, and to compound things after the game, he just said, "I just didn't know what to do there. <laughs> I just didn't know what to do there." Yeah, <laughs> that's on yeah, me. I mean. I, you know, Sam Pittman has uh, coached his way onto the hot seat after being a beloved coach at Arkansas for a couple of seasons. Um, he he made the, uh, a veteran coaching move by firing his offensive coordinator. You know, get rid of him so everybody will say, "Yeah, Dan Enos is a problem, not you." But then he made just an egregious uh, decision by saying, "Huh." I had no clue what to do in that situation. I didn't know, should I kick it, go for it? And then I just, I don't know, I just froze. I mean, how bad can you be? You almost could have fired him right then. Do you know why Sam Pittman is so lovable? Because he's a big guy? 
that's probably a factor. But also, he'll pick up the phone for any interview. We could probably have him on tomorrow. I mean, it, why don't you call him right now and get him on the podcast? All right, let's go ahead and dial that up. John's appearance brought to you by Harold Group Security Solutions. We want to make your children safer. Leadership experience, specialization, addressing problems through unique mission-specific mitigation techniques, making your children safer one school at a time. Working with private schools now, but we're going to push that to get into public schools to avoid the uh, terrible uh, scenarios that we have seen across our country. So, uh, John, we certainly appreciate your time. Your thoughts on if the balls bounce back against uh, Kentucky. I wrote how uh, Tennessee, there are two opposing trends. One, they don't play well on the road, particularly in night games. Two, they usually bounce back. So which is the stronger of the two? Uh, they usually bounce back, particularly when you're playing uh, Kentucky. Kentucky stays up late uh, at night trying to think of ways to lose to Tennessee, and they usually come up with a good idea. So, yeah, I, this is the perfect time to be playing Kentucky. I don't care if Kentucky had two weeks to get ready. It'll probably work against them, and, and Kentucky will overthink everything. Yeah, Two weeks to get ready to lose. All right, John, greatly appreciate it, sir. And we can follow your work in the Knoxville News Sentinel, the USA Today Network, and uh, you're out there everywhere. Uh, so thank you, sir. And uh, anything else you would like to add? Uh, no, I just uh, want to just send out an apology uh, to punters everywhere. They work hard at their craft, and they – they deserve their place on the field, despite what Caleb says. Yeah. Go punters. Yes, absolutely. Go Colquitts. <laughs> Sober or not. All right, John. Great stuff. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, sir. Thank you. He's John Adams. I'm Dave Hooker. Those two opposing trends that we talked about, I did write about um, on offthehooksports.com, and we shall discuss that in exactly two minutes. Got some numbers I want to throw at you, and they're pretty interesting in terms of Tennessee and the way they bounce back and the way they play on the road. And, Caleb, you had a question yesterday. Uh, does Kentucky practice in the afternoons or the mornings? So I've got an answer to that. I reached out to them and I think it's a factor because if you look at LSU last year, they practiced in the afternoon. So an 11 central time kickoff was like 7 a.m. or our 3.45 a.m. production meeting. So in two minutes, some numbers that I think will get you more informed as we continue off the sports. Got cataracts? We can fix that. Never miss another moment with a little help from Drs. Campbell, Cunningham, Taylor, and Hahn at cctis.com. Hi, I'm Rick Terry, and we at Rick Terry Jewelry Designs pride ourselves in the highest quality craftsmanship from a family-owned business here in Knoxville for over 35 years. At Rick Terry Jewelry Designs, we also take pride in being an affordable option for all your game day accessories, especially those fire opals. At Rick Terry Jewelry Designs, we want to be your jeweler every day and especially on game day. Go Vols! Hi, Mike Davis here with City Heating and Air, reminding you to always dare to compare. Our team provides quality local heating and air service, installation, and maintenance across East Tennessee. 
We use only the best equipment like American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning for your residential, new construction, or commercial needs. Honesty, dependability, and customer satisfaction have been the cornerstones of our business since 1961. City Heat and Air. These mountains hold and defend a spirit far better than moonshine. A drink that holds flavor that becomes necessity. A hard cider made and relished by folk who are as hearty as they are legend. A refreshment that can only be found in one place. With a taste that makes you say, give me three bottles of the good stuff. Tennessee Cider Company, where necessity can be found. Objective coverage. Hey, that's new. If we get cut, we're going to jail. The Dave Hooker Show, a presentation of Off the Hook Sports. YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the free Off the Hook Sports app. I'm going to need to see some identification. Back to Dave Hooker. All right, Tennessee, not great on the road, but... They are good in bounce-back games. Let us discuss. It's brought to you by the Hemp House, the premier hemp dispensary online with a wide variety, great selection, and strict standards to ensure you only receive the best in CBD or Delta products. Hemp House Chat with 2Ts.com. Hemp House Chat with 2Ts.com. Use the promo code HOOKED. Get 10% off. And they also have the Big Orange Crunch, which is fantastic. All right. So let's get to this. Um, Tennessee has not played well at times on the road. Um, and they have played well, though, in bounce-back games, particularly look at last year when Tennessee lost to Georgia. They played well uh, the following week. When Tennessee lost to South Carolina, they played well the following week. I know opponents are a factor, but I, I do think that Tennessee's foundation, and this is probably the greatest compliment I can give Josh Heupel, I think that Tennessee's foundation is strong enough where nobody throws in the towel. I've been around teams that threw in the towel before, and you could feel it. And I don't think this is one of those teams. So that leads us uh, to uh, four downs right now where we're going to discuss exactly what Tennessee uh, or what Tennessee fans can expect this weekend. Here we go. Four downs. Four questions, four answers. The Dave Hooker Show. Four. 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 Bounds. A presentation of offthehooksports.com. All right, so here we go. Let's take a look at this, um, and we'll get to first down here in just a moment. Uh, uh, the Vanderbilt game last season, a great example of scheduling and pride working in the ball's favor. That was after the most heartbreaking loss that Tennessee had suffered since the 2001 SEC championship game, and that was to South Carolina. Tennessee hammered Vanderbilt, came out and, and played well. Um, and as Tennessee uh, prepares for uh, Kentucky, you you wonder how they'll react. I don't think this is a team that throws in the towel. But even before the Vanderbilt game last year, uh, Tennessee accused of running up the score against Missouri after getting beaten badly by Georgia in a game that was more one-sided than the score would indicate. Uh, so some of the losses have been ugly, like the 38-14 loss at Florida, the 52-24 loss to Alabama. 
Uh, then, uh, like I said, there was the loss to Georgia last season, but it hasn't affected Tennessee's ability to bounce back. So a couple of things I want to take a look at, and Cooper Mays will uh, set us up as, Coop, what should people do? Cooper Mays here. Hit like and subscribe. All right. What down is it, Coop? Coop here. First down. Okay. So let me ask you this question and the message board as well. What do you place more weight in? The bounce back factor or road woes? If you had to pick one or the other, and I realize Tennessee didn't play two stellar opponents back-to-back last year. Same thing with the, the Florida game this year. But what do you place more weight in? I will go ahead and say, Caleb, I place more weight in the bounce back factor because of Josh Heupel's foundation. And I don't think these guys throw in the towel. But I'm not discounting the road woes altogether. You know, I was actually going to... I got to be honest with you. I was going to say I place more factor into the road woes because of who they've played. But then I went to a team rankings online and was able to look at Tennessee against the spread. And they're seven and one in three years against the spread after losses. That's an insane number, by the way, seven and one against the spread after a loss. And the only law, the only time they didn't cover the spread was 2021 against Alabama where they will they lost 52 to 24 but they were down it was only it was only a touchdown game in the fourth quarter and then so it was a backdoor cover by Alabama if you watch that game it was not an actual real cover if you watch the full game so I do place more weight in Tennessee bouncing back because of that fact now I will say when Josh Heupel was at UCF it was a little bit worse after a loss against the spread he was 0-3 in 2020 as I'm pulling it up now and Owen and three in 2019 and he didn't have a loss in 2018. So there's no way to judge him that year, but so it was Owen six at UCF, but it, this Tennessee team at the very least is much better bouncing back after a loss, the, the Tennessee program under Heupel. Yep. And Travis Satan uh, bounce back. It's Kentucky. I mean, just as a whole, when, when we start talking about, uh, the the college football playoff. Let's say Tennessee's in the SEC championship game one year and they lose that game. Are they bouncing back and playing their best ball if they make the college football playoff? So I'm talking about more as a whole. Uh, also, the road woes wasn't really a factor at Bama. Took it to them in the first half. It's a great point. Um, Smoky Mountain Red says bounce back as well with the culture that has been built. Also, I think the world word culture is way overused in football. I do too. But I think in this particular case, it was uh, so bad for so long that Josh Heupel almost deserves a statue for just changing the way Tennessee's players feel about their program and playing for uh, the school and him, Caleb. And culture is a factor because I hate this. I hate I think it's overused, too, but I've watched enough football that I do feel like whatever the mentality of the program is creeps in. I think one of the reasons Kentucky always loses to Tennessee is there's a culture. They feel like they're supposed to. One of the reasons Tennessee always loses to Florida is the culture on campus seeps into the players on the field. There's the whole learning how to win. I watched the 2013 Auburn team, Dave, and you did too, the kick six. By the time they got to that Georgia game, they had been so lucky for so long. I think culture had a lot to do with that really lucky fourth and 30, whatever they converted against Georgia, and that really lucky went over Alabama because they felt we've been so lucky all year, we just have to keep winning. And that factors into it. What down, Coop? Cooper Mays here, second down. Okay, now this is not applicable to Alabama. But do you remember the days, it would be applicable to Georgia perhaps last year, when that crowd that was uh, spurred by Eric Gange partially 
Um, when that crowd uh, was so up and hyped for the game, do you remember the Bill Walsh days where they'd script the first 10, 15, or 20 plays? This may be a little bit before your time, Caleb, but basically it was go out and run these plays and you are going to be uh, – you're going to have a real good feel for how the defense is going to react to those plays and it sets you up for the rest of the game. But it also on the road gives you a bit of a sense of calm. What do you think about scripting the first 10 plays? So I didn't know that. I I know those days. I didn't know that was to quiet the crowd a lot of times, but I guess that makes sense. Um, Well, it wasn't, it wasn't to quiet the crowd. It was so the crowd couldn't affect communication as much. Okay. Or, yeah, I could see it as getting a feel for the defense, um, but I, I don't think that works with Josh Heupel because I think half the offense is dependent on the quarterback reading the safety and also reading the defense before the line of scrimmage on whether or not to whether or not to do a draw or take the deep shot. And, I, I mean, look, I think a lot of that – I think a lot of the play calling is on the quarterback and Heupel's system. So I just don't think – I think Heupel can have like three plays dialed up, but I don't think you could have ten. Well, he, here's the thing, though. Uh I agree it would take away some of his ability to adapt on the fly, but I do think it would help you evaluate what defenses are going to do. I wouldn't hate the idea at all, Um, and I think that you practice those first 10 plays uh, all week and you're good to go and you see what happens. Now, I've seen several times, and Bill Walsh won four Super Bowls, or three. He won three, right? So I, I've seen, I saw several times where those first 10 plays didn't work out real well, despite having Joe Montana and Jerry Rice. But typically, as the game went on, you saw what he learned from those 10 plays. So I, I think a more effective thing might actually be uh, do the Steve Spurrier method, alternate a quarterback every other play and then tell the quarterback the play right before he goes out. Then the other quarterback comes to the bench, and you tell him the next play, which he did that. <laughs> Yep. All right. Uh, what down, Coop? Tennessee center, Cooper Mays here. Third down. Okay, do you remember when this was discussed last year, and that was that Tennessee's tempo was supposed to quiet down the crowd, that they had trouble getting up and cheering because the the game was moving so fast? Do, do you remember that conversation? We haven't had that conversation in a year. But that was something that Josh Heupel pointed to and the players pointed to as a way of offsetting crowd noise. Why is that not a topic of discussion now, Caleb? Tim, that only works if you move the ball on your first couple of plays of a drive. Tempo goes out the window if you throw an incomplete pass. And that's the problem. Or if you get stopped on a first and long. It's like, think about it this way. Remember when Bruce Pearl first introduced the up-tempo offense to the SEC that nobody nobody in the SEC had seen ever? at that time with the full court press, or well, they saw it with Nolan Richardson, but they hadn't seen it in a decade with the full court press and things like that. Bruce Pearl was very, a huge part of Nolan's and Bruce's system was you can't run the press unless you hit your shots. You have to hit, you have to make your buckets on offense to set up your press. And it's similar with tempo, but you can, on still, offense. But you can still run tempo with an incomplete pass. Not not as easy because the ref has to go get the ball, come set, spot it. You know, the, the ball sails and it takes a minute to spot the ball back. So you can't run tempo with an incomplete pass the way you want to. And also, you can't keep the defense on its heels, particularly like if you get a stop on, if if you only get a yard on first and 10 and you're playing behind the sticks at that point, you can't really afford to play behind the sticks when you're running tempo because you don't have the defense on their heels as much. 
And so you have to be able to keep the defense on their heels. And so they just haven't done that that well this year. Um, it definitely had the Bammers quiet. It it did, but I will say this: that's an incredibly overrated place to play in terms of difficulty. Um, they're used to winning. It's it's not that loud, which leads me to uh, fourth down. All SEC center Cooper Mays here. Fourth down. All uh, right. Are the Vols spoiled by the home stadium? I mean, when you. Neyland has absolutely gone from one of the good places to play to one of the best places to play. Is Tennessee a touchdown favorite? We usually say three points given to the home team, but is it a touchdown favorite? Is it it a touchdown better at home than on the road? Caleb, I think there's something to be said for that because the atmosphere at Neyland Stadium has has become better than I can ever, ever remember. And I I mean that, well, with the exception of of the 98 team, but with all they have going on and the production value and all of that, uh, Green Wave agrees with me. Nealon is easily worth seven points. I don't know that every stadium can say that. I don't know that Oregon could say that you're worth seven points. I don't think Bryant-Denny's worth seven points, but I think Nealon's worth seven points. I do too. I think Neyland's worth seven points. And one of the reasons we've never seen this, by the way, is because for the longest period of Tennessee football history, big home games aren't a thing by the time October comes. They're, the gauntlet of their schedule is, used to be, even when they were at their peak, the gauntlet of their schedule was over by the middle, middle of October. And, you know, you've never really seen Neyland Stadium with the crowd in a meaningful late game. Now, but yeah, I mean, I think it's very clear that Neyland is a threat. And you're right, the 98 team, I, I feel like that 98 Florida game is the loudest the stadium has ever been or will ever be. The crowd won that game. And Florida made how many mistakes in that game to lose? I mean, the crowd won that game. And I, th- I thought they helped. Ru- there was a rumor, too. We were talking to Philip Fulmer on the Celebrate 98 series that um, there were some sort of jet engines being played outside the stadium. I have no idea if that's true. But, yeah, you couldn't hear – you could stand side by side and you you couldn't hear – Smoky Mountain Red just made me giggle. Uh, Vandy's uh, toilet bowl is worth 14 points uh, to the opponent. Uh, that's pretty good. I like that because uh, it probably is. Uh, portions of the program brought to you by Tennessee Cider Company, the original hard cider of the Smoky Mountains. Use the promo code HAT, the promo code HAT, to receive some free swag with your cider order. Available most anywhere in the U.S., tncidercompany.com, tncidercompany.com. And use that promo code HAT. Tell them Off the Hook Sports sent you. We greatly appreciate that. And now we discuss the 12-team playoff. All right, so this is where I have been the whole time. Caleb's coming around to me. Tennessee fans should come around as well. The 12-team playoff is the way to go because so many teams would still have so much to play for. Caleb's going to try to convince us that Tennessee can win a championship tomorrow. I keep teasing that. I don't know how, but I look forward to it. A 12-team playoff changes things for everybody uh every team with two losses at this point can say you can still win out and get in the playoff uh especially teams with one loss obviously so uh caleb uh it would 
it will make college football better. Uh, you, you asked the question. I, I would, I would ask you first to defend the opposite side. And that is how would it not make it better? Oh, well, okay. So the question I'm asking about today, because we will have plenty of time to debate the 12 team versus BCS or the 14 playoff, excuse me. But the question I'm asking about this year is everybody's saying, because this year has been wide open and you, you agree. This is, is this one of the most wide open years you've ever covered in college football? It is for me. I mean, yes. since 2007. So everybody's saying the 12 team playoff would be awesome this year. If they moved it up a year, I disagree. I think going back to the old system would make this year better because, because it's so wide open. So many teams think they have a shot at a championship and they're all playing playoff games from October through the end of November. And I don't want to sacrifice that for a couple of three hot weeks in December. So while I understand the sentiment to the 12 team playoff and overall, I'm somewhat coming around to you in certain ways. I remember the 2007 season, Dave, when LSU got in with two losses to the BCS, when it was just two teams, that was the most exciting year in the history of college football. It's the greatest season in college football history. There's not a close second, the 2007 season. And this year is going to be like 2007. I wish they just had two teams playing for the national title at the end of the year. It would be so much fun because every game would be a playoff game for so many teams from now until the end of November. And you're sacrificing that for a couple of weeks in December. I don't know. But those... Those couple of weeks in December when college football falls off the map are just so bizarre to me. No other sport takes a three-week break. And really, it's more like a four-week break for any games of significance um, because, you know, you're talking about the playoffs, but also the January 1st bowl games. I mean, that's – what other sport – can you imagine if the NBA or the NFL said, hey, we're just going to take a timeout for about a month before the playoffs. It's just bizarre to me. Well, what people who what we all forget is college football for the longest time was never about the January bowl games or the postseason. College football was about those three months, September, October, November. And then January, that bowl game was just like a little bit extra icing on the cake. That was something in the ether. But the bulk of the season was September, October, November. We forget this. Up until the 1970s, Dave, the national champion was crowned before bowl games were even played. Everybody knew that bowl games were just an extra little thing to make New Year's Day fun, but they weren't supposed to be really part of the season. Well, no, I get that, but that's stupid. I thought it was great. The whole regular season mattered. Go to go watch Premier League soccer in Europe. They don't even have a postseason. They just play a round robin. And the Soccer's that- stupid. Okay, how about this? You like NASCAR. NASCAR, <laughs> the Chase Cup ruined NASCAR. It ruined NASCAR permanently. Well, a lot of things ruined NASCAR, but... Uh, it, the Chase uh, Cup ruined it. NASCAR was NASCAR was close to competing with the NFL before they put in the Chase Cup. Okay, because now what you do with the Chase Cup, you try to compete with the NFL in November and October, but you can't. But you know what you did with the Chase Cup, Dave? You made the Daytona 500 useless. No one cares about the Daytona 500 anymore because it's a regular season race. It's stupid. It well, NASCAR got beat up by football, basically. Uh, the, the 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 chase was to try to take just a few viewers away from football, uh, but that's they were never going to do happen. that. No, that's that yeah. was never going to happen. I agree. So the chase was stupid. With, I agree. The what, chase was stupid, but NASCAR ruined NASCAR themselves. Uh, I was just about to say that. That's do you think, so? Think about this. Do you think college football is going to compete with the NFL? Because I don't. 
I wish it would. I love college football personally, but I can tell you guys outside of the South, everybody else like college football is a significant second to the NFL. And even in parts of the South, you go to Florida or even now parts of Louisiana with the Saints after they became beloved. I mean, the NFL competes somewhat with college football. If college football sacrifices its regular season to try to compete with the NFL in December, which it's not going to do, it could go the same way as NASCAR. Because again, what you're, these October to November games are going to be so much fun over the next month and a half because there's only four teams and I wish there were only two. And I'm telling you, you're, you are in, in college football and NASCAR actually probably have the most crossover fan bases in a lot of ways, as you probably know, Dave. <laughs> so it's. Well, now you, I'm, but you shared with me uh, something you read that college football, I think it was based off of Shannon Terry comment or an interview that he thinks with the trend college football could be bigger than the NFL uh, with especially the playoff and the way things are trending right now. Um, that seems like a big leap. Okay. But I wouldn't rule it out. I think the college football playoff can be that big, the 12 team playoff. I think it can be so big that college football can truly rival the NFL in terms of viewership. I don't think I'm overstating that. I think in an age of NIL, college football playoff is going to have a massive spike to the sport for about four or five years. But I think what's going to end up happening, because even you've come to my side on this, it's not going to be March Madness. You're not going to see these like random teams upset the top five teams. That's not, Alabama is not going to get upset by Boise State on a regular basis. Most of the time, Alabama's winning that game 75 to nothing. And the SEC is going to enjoy it because all the SEC teams are going to be in it. But you know what the theory of the college football playoff is? They think that'll take make it more national. Dave, do you think the college football playoff is going to make somebody on the West Coast care more about college football when once their team from the West Coast gets to the playoff, they lose by 70 every time? They're just going to eventually not care about the playoff at that point. Well, but yes, they're... There will be elite programs like Georgia has been now and that Alabama has been recently that are going to be absolutely very difficult to topple. But with the way they have it set up where those top four teams get a bye, I don't think you'll have as many lopsided games. You didn't you didn't this past four team playoff, did you? Because more money is going to pump into the sport, so more programs are going to have more money to spend, and I think it levels the playing field. I think you're going to see a college football world in which there are going to be a good six to eight teams, if not ten, at the beginning of the year that can realistically win a championship. Whereas now, let me let me expect this. I'm going to say eight to 10, whereas now I think it's four to six. If I gave you right now uh, or before the season, Caleb, you've got four picks and you have to bet your mortgage on these four teams win the playoffs and I take the field. I think you'd nail it every year. Would we say Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, Michigan? Yeah, but those four didn't make it last year. It was just Georgia, Ohio State and Michigan. Like there's always one. Team I'm not that's saying going to make the college. I'm not saying make the college football playoff. Oh, just one of win it all. Win it oh, all. Win it all. Oh, win it all. Yeah, yeah. I would take the. I, I agree. I would do the four teams. Yes. And that's college football's issue right now. Is it works like kind of the NBA. The NBA has this issue too, where the NBA has 
every, even when you were watching the 80s, has the NBA ever had a point where more than three teams were considered contenders in a year for a championship? And that's always somewhat been an issue with college football. It's gotten worse with the playoff, in case you haven't noticed. Um, but I would hope you would have a point there. It's never going to be on the NFL level, though. The reason the NFL can do an expanded playoff is, let's be honest, Dave, outside of the best team and the 32nd best team, there's so much parity in the NFL. It's insane. I mean, it's by far the most evenly matched league. It's not crazy when a 14-2 and team loses to a 6-10 and team or something like that. There, there's not much of a gap between those two teams. But there's a huge gap between number one in college football and number 10 in college football. Yep. Uh, great shout out just uh, on the message board from Smoky Mountain Red. Um, I met Ron Morton, who he and I started the lead lap back in 1998, a NASCAR show on each and every Saturday. Of course, his uncle was Bobby Ditton, who was the uh, PA announcer at Neyland Stadium for so many years and did such a, a fantastic job. And uh, boy, Bobby Ditton... Um, you know, if he he just boosted my career like there was no tomorrow, and he, he did love NASCAR. And when I said, "Hey, I want to do a NASCAR show," he goes, "All right, let's do it." And um, he kind of had an Ed Orgeron kind of a voice to him, but uh, just an absolute great guy. Have a fantastic morning, day, evening, whenever you're watching with Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker. This has been a presentation of Off the Hook Sports. <laughs>